The second twilight, the night sinking into sleep, purification and oblivion. The first twilight, the morning that was dawn, the day that was morning, the day of a thousand things that we spent afternoons. The second twilight, that other habit of time and night, purification and oblivion. The first twilight, secretive to dawn and at dawn, the Greeks' anxiety. What scheme is this where they what river is this whose source is inconceivable? What river is this bearing along mythologies and swords? It would be useless for it to sleep. It flows through sleep, through the desert, through a basement. The river carries me off, and I am that river. I was made of wretched stuff, mysterious time. Perhaps the source is inside me. Perhaps the fatal and illusory day spring from my shadow. Borges, Louis Borges, Heraclitus, Poems of the Night. Hi, I'm Josh. And I am Matt. You're listening to The Standard Issue, powered by the Scolium Institute, where new ideas are served fresh every day. Today's episode, Sloppy Solipsism, the hidden nihilism of a controversial philosophy. So you may have noticed that we opened up today's episode a little differently than we have in the past. We started out specifically with a poem by Jorge Luis Borges, uh, entitled Heraclitus. It's from his collection called Poems of the Night. Now, for those of you who are not as familiar with ancient Greek philosophy, Heraclitus is a philosopher known primarily for ideas such as that everything is made of fire or that the universe continues outside our own reality. What's unique about Borges' poem is that it starts out with this whole idea that this universe is going on beyond the narrator self. But then he begins to question that does this reality come from inside me? And this opens up ourselves to our topic of the day. That is solipsism. Josh, would you like to provide a baseline definition of solipsism for everyone? Sure. Uh, solipsism, it's basically, uh, basically the belief that uh, nothing beyond yourself can be known. We touched on this a little bit in the in the first episode. Uh, we talked about, um, you know, Descartes. He says that uh, he says I think, therefore I am. And I mentioned that. Well, I mean, that sure that proves that you exist, but it, it does very little to prove anyone else exists. So uh, that's kind of what the uh, that's kind of the idea of solipsism. It brings in what in philosophy is known as the problem of other minds. The whole idea again is I can prove my own existence. Though, of course, as we spoke about in our very first episode, how do you become er you, uh, that ourselves are much more complicated than that baseline idea. Mm -hmm. But no matter what, we are faced with this difficulty of how do we prove that other individuals exist, that other people are not just you know mindless zombies going around day to day or some type of computer programs. Or figments of our imagination. Exactly. Um, Whenever we are prepping for this, I know you brought up the whole idea of solipsism in Hindu beliefs. Would you like to go ahead and do that first? And we can kind of break things down through a bit of historical analysis of solipsism. Well, yeah, I only had a little to say on that subject. Really, uh, it was just that the um, the idea is that it kind of goes back to uh, uh, the Hindu belief that life is, a, is an illusion and that there isn't really... Uh, the things that go on, things that are going on here, aren't aren't actually important. They uh, 
they you know they kind of they, they're what they're trying to they're trying to achieve an, you know, another state of of enlightenment um uh, i believe they call it brahman yeah um, uh yeah brahman's so, uh enlightenment dharma's the way to yeah, reach that yeah so so here you know so here we are um it's it's not exactly the same as what we're talking about here but again like they they don't believe that necessarily what you're seeing here what's going on in this world is necessarily uh real it's it's you know it's it's more of an illusion mm-hmm. so uh it's it's a it's a parallel concept i guess it's not exactly the same but it certainly kind of gives you an idea and it it'll, it kind of goes into some things we'll touch in later once we start talking about absurdism but we won't mm-hmm. go into that yet um that's not to say that hinduism is absurd it's just no it, absurdism is a philosophy it is not as Josh said, we are not deeming any religion here as being, you know, absurd, strange, or not worthy of being practiced. Yeah, it's more of a technical term. It really, I just wanted to make that clear. Oh yeah, it's very important. It's just like whenever we spoke about eugenics, how we had to be like absolutely certain that no one would mistake us as it a pro eugenics yeah. podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know. Uh, many pro eugenics <laughs> podcasts i don't and i don't think i want us to be the first one no i'm keeping my fingers crossed they don't exist <laughs> however speaking of things that don't exist let's go to, over to the cart again so oh. we we gave him we we gave our answer or descartes answer to what's called descartes demons that whole idea is he thinks therefore he is he knows right. that he exists but um Descartes' demon very much ties in elements of what you're talking about a moment ago with that whole idea that everything's illusion. Uh, Within Meditations on the First Philosophy, again, the same text that we get, uh, the cogito, I think I am, I think therefore I am, uh, we have this idea that what if everything we know, our everyday reality, the things that we think we know for sure that we would swear by mm-hmm. was nothing but a byproduct of a demon practicing a trick on our perceptions, creating this false sense of reality that we so easily can buy into. Right. So you're talking about like everything from like people you know at work to like your best friend or even your brother or your mother. Mm-hmm. Like could none of those could be what you think they are or they could not even exist and even things as arbitrary as the couch i'm sitting on right now or the lamp that's being used to light this room are just byproducts of an illusion sure so uh basically what you're saying is you can't trust any of your senses nothing that nothing that doesn't originate within your own mind Mm -hmm. maybe even not maybe not even that exactly and that again uh, ties in more so what we're talking about. Descartes himself, he feels confident that he exists because if he didn't exist, how could he question his own existence? Sure. But as, as we said before, there are, are ways you can complicate that argument and digress it. But mm-hmm. they, the whole idea of solipsism doesn't just stop at Descartes' demon, it, it goes on even further in the uh, late 1900s with Hillary Putnam's uh, The Brain in the Vat. Do you want to take this one? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know too much about it. I just know it was a, it was a science fiction. Uh, was it a, a story or just a thought experiment? It's a thought experiment. Okay, so um, basically there's a uh, – the idea is that your, you, your body doesn't really exist. Your brain is sitting in a vat of, of fluids, and, it's, uh, and all your nerve endings are being stimulated – uh, presumably by electrical impulse or something or something of that nature that's causing your uh, 
that basically causes you to see, smell, feel, you know, taste, touch, everything about the world that you're in right now. Uh, and you would have no way of knowing uh, because this, because this sim is basically, it's, it's perfectly simulating the, the real world. So how would you, uh, I mean, how would you know that the couch you're sitting on doesn't exist and that you're really just a brain sitting in a, in a vat somewhere? And I mean, this is, you know, I mean, this talk, this is, uh, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's really hard to think that, you know, to, to think of any way, I don't, I don't know that there is a way that you could, you could prove that that's not the case, but. I mean that's not so it's it is it definitely is, is something interesting to make you think. Mhm. Mm it's one of those things where it kind of pulls in a little bit of what Bertrand Russell talks about with atipotism. Yes. The whole idea that the burden of proof is on the person trying to prove the thing. And that's why a lot of people they see the brain in a jar and they just kind of like uh put it aside. Brain in a jar is the same thing as brain in a vat. There's different ways of yeah. viewing that uh for anyone who might get confused by us interchanging terminology there. But the whole idea is that uh, with a teapotism, I could say that there is a teapot orbiting our planet. And the thing is about a teapot is they're pretty tiny. And given how perspective works when we're at a long distance or far distance, mm -hmm. is that this teapot would get smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where if it's orbiting, we can't see it with the naked eye. There's nothing to go off of but faith. Right. And so an atipotist would be someone who believes that there is not a teapot going around because there's no evidence for it. Right. And, and it's used as a parallel to explain how things that might seem like convincing arguments, such as solipsism, again, which we'll break down further and further mm -hmm. as we go along. Uh, but it shows how these arguments that can seem really, really convincing that grab you might not really have a strong enough logical basis for you to buy into it. Right, exactly. And I mean, and it's it's kind of a, you know, you can't prove that you're not a brain in a vat. You can't prove that there's not some demon manipulating everything that you see and feel. But, you, I mean, you can't prove that it's true. And like you said, the burden of proof isn't on you to prove that it's not true. It's on the person making the outrageous claim uh, to prove that it is true. So it, it is, you know, that, like you said, it is something that people will just normally just dismiss. Uh, it, it is still an interesting concept, though. Mm -hmm, definitely. It's worth meditating upon. Otherwise, why else would we be talking about this here, honestly? Like, right. Well, I mean, it reminds me kind of, of uh, uh, have you seen The Matrix? I have seen The Matrix. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed that movie a, a lot, and it's kind of... It's kind of a more modern version. I like the first one. I didn't really like the other two, but uh, I mean, they, they they still had good concepts and everything. But basically, what what happened with that? It was a more modern version of of the same thing. You know, you're uh, here. You are in uh, going about your day to day life, and uh, you will wake up one day to find out that that was all a computer simulation. None of it was real, and that you know, everything uh, everything that you you had touched or even seen up until that point you know you never used even used your real eyes before and what's cool about the matrix is that it not only does it modernize the brain in a vat but it plays upon an aspect that the brain in a vat kind of touches on in hillary putnam's original essay mm -hmm. uh originally called brains in a vat uh, not too surprising there uh but the whole idea is that it's not just a single person. It's not like pure solipsism where it's you are the only person who exists right. or is certain to exist. Mm -hmm. In this case, there are people 
such as in this case with the Matrix, we have Trinity, we have Morpheus, and that's just scratching the surface of people who exist within the real world who tap into the Matrix right. and escape. And whenever we have scenes such as, is it in, it's in the first one still too, isn't it? Where the, they show all the people who are uh, held up in the containers that are still hooked up to the machine. Yeah, I believe that's, I believe that is the first one. You know, where it's all these people are brains in a vat and actually ties into another thought experiment called the experience machine. We're not going to get in the experience machine too much, but it's rest upon the same premise. It's the, the idea is, you could either exist in real life and have to deal with all the problems and woes, or you could be hooked up to this artificial reality wherein everything is letting you experience things at, in a perfect way. It's very utopic, very, mm. very much the way some people might think of heaven, but maybe a little more realistic in the sense sure. that Attainable. it's yeah. um, Total Recall, Star Trek, uh, Stargate. Uh, just three science fiction uh, type you know, type uh, stories, all of which uh, do actually play on that. Uh, they uh, there's a there's you know pretty much if a sci-fi show goes on long enough, they do uh, an experience machine episode. Yeah, it, it's a classic because the the whole premise of it, and again, we're not going to go into further beyond this, but just to give you a basic idea why this thought experiment exists, is it's meant to raise a question about. What is the quality of life? Is life worth living if it's actually experienced or if it's simulated? Because when you're simulating it, it feels authentic to you. Sure. And what if you can't tell the difference anymore? Exactly. And so that holds in that idea that we have going on with the Matrix. We have it going on with brains in the vat. But whenever we get to this situation wherein everything is simulated, where... Uh, for sake of argument, we're saying that only one person exists. You know, mm -hmm. what kind of things does that say about the universe itself as a whole? Uh, well, it's, it's kind of pointless, isn't it? Well, I would say so, yes, because if I am the only person who exists, and let's go of some type of older form of solipsism where it's all like a dream, mm -hmm. that means every person I've ever encountered is a manifestation of myself, which could be interesting if I want to sure. go all like Freudian psychoanalytic on it or some other form of psychology. Sure. But at the same time, that also means every book that's ever been written, that's coming out of my mind. Mm -hmm. Every movie that's ever been seen, every video game I've ever played, everything. It's a byproduct of me. Every podcast you've ever listened to. <laughs> every podcast I've listened to from Stuff Mom Never Told You, The Freakonomics has been a byproduct of my own imagination, according to this philosophy. Yeah. And suddenly these things that seem so innovative, seem so original, mm -hmm. they're just like, okay, I, I would know this anyway, right? I mean, that's like the burden of proof for solipsism. If it's the byproduct of my imagination, mm -hmm. ideally it means that I know this already. Now, if a case of a computer simulation then you have you can have new new material introduced, mm -hmm. um, you know, via the link. Same but with the demon too. Sure, the yeah, um, brains in a vat. Sure, as long as there's other brains in the vat. Yeah, but ultimately, with pure solipsism, where you don't have this other agent involved, mm -hmm. you 
have an inescapable ideal of nihilism brought in. You can yeah. still have nihilism brought in the other ways, but it's definitely inescapable there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot worse. I mean, because at least with the other ways, there are there is a degree of, of interaction between you and some other, um, you know, some other agent or other thing. But uh, with when you're all by yourself and there is no there's no longer inter- any interaction, the universe essentially just exists for you. And, you know, what's the point? Exactly. It, it's something, again, you see sometimes in science fiction where you have this idea of eternal life brought in. Obviously, here we're not saying life is eternal, but the whole idea is if everything exists for you, at first it can seem, yeah, like, yeah, this is great. This is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But things wear on. You know, the idea of the hedonic treadmill comes in where you need this continual burst of novelty and you can't have novelty anymore. That whole concept has been stripped away from you. Yeah, I mean, you've yeah. Once you've lived for you know for so long, uh, I mean, even learning new things may not be as may, may not even be fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be first of all, it'll be harder and harder to find new things to learn. But I mean, will you even get the same rush mm-hmm. after you know thousand years? Yeah, it's the same type of idea you have with people who uh, become addicted to some type of substance. Sure, they have to keep using more and more of it, and it eventually kills them. Exactly, or if it doesn't kill them it gets to the point where it has zero effect on them. Right. They'll be craving it, but they cannot actually benefit in any way except for satisfying that biological need to have that brought in. Yeah, uh, It brings to mind a quote uh, Frederick Nietzsche makes within Twilight of the Idols. He says, We have abolished the real world. What world is left? The parent world, perhaps? But no, with the real world, we have also abolished the apparent world. So with this quote in mind, we are forced to ask the question then, if the apparent world is gone, what other options do we have? Death. What do you mean? Specify it a little bit further. Well, I mean, if, if, there's, uh, if there's no, I mean, if you, if you can't have any experiences... Uh, I mean, or any new experiences, like maybe the last, you know, the last new experience is suicide. Yeah, that's going from zero to 100 pretty fast there. Well, I mean, it was, uh, it was done. It's done on an episode of Star Trek, actually. There's an omnipotent being who is immortal, wants to kill himself because he's already done everything. And the others of his kind don't want that to happen because part of the definition of their being is that they're immortal. So uh, if he was able to kill himself, then that would be bad for them. This brings to mind uh, another quote by a famous philosopher, one who's connected to Nietzsche, but he's kind of opposed at the same time to Nietzsche. That's uh, French philosopher Albert Camus. Uh, This is taken from an essay entitled An Absurd Reasoning from his The Myth of Sisyphus and Other Essays. And it's part of the greater part of the myth of Sisyphus as a whole. The quote goes as follows. There is but only one truly serious philosophical problem, and that is suicide. Judging whether life is or is not worth living amounts to answering the fundamental question of all philosophy. All the rest, whether or not the world has three dimensions, whether the mind has nine or twelve categories, comes afterwards. So what we're saying here is that whether or not you know, we may have these weird parts of consciousness. I, To my knowledge, there's no one that has argued that the mind has nine or 12 categories. It's just an example of some of the absurdities that philosophy can get into whenever 
you get really far in kind of like with the philosophers from the middle ages who would argue things like how many angels can set uh, on the head of a pin pin. Mm -hmm. yeah it's that whole idea there what no matter what we before we go into pursuing what philosophy is what that love of truth is we have to figure out whether or not that life is worth living yeah i mean the question of whether or not life is worth living is is really important uh and it's not necessarily the answer isn't necessarily going to be the same for everyone I mean, I'm pretty, pretty pleased with life, you know, the way, you know, the way things are. I'm a guy in my 20s, um, you know, uh, it's, everything's going pretty well, but, um, I mean, I can, I can definitely see if I was terminally ill and a lot of pain or something like that, that, that may, I may not have the same answer. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so, I mean, it definitely goes into, and and again, if, if I'm terminally ill, I uh, I might feel like there is no point in continuing my life because I know I'm gonna die, so, you know, I mean that kind of goes into there. It definitely uh, at least touches on the subject of nihilism in that way as well. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing that a lot of times you can get some people who might not even normally be nihilist able to be swayed because when you bring in that concept of pain, you uh, bring in the concept of a. Uh, an identity wherein you're unable to perform all the things that you used to be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think of, I don't know if you've ever seen the music video for this, because I know you're not really a fan of Metallica, mm-hmm. but they have a video called for their song called One. Mm-hmm. And in it, there is a man, I know it's taken, the footage is taken from an old movie. I've never seen the movie uh, we'll put the name of the movie with the vi- a link to the video within the thought catalog. Okay. But um, this person, he ended up being in a situation where I-, I think there was a bomb that went off and it blew off all his limbs. And he's also unable to talk. Oh, my God. So he is laying there on this bed while everyone is going wrong with their, their lives and he's mm. left alive and he's conscious, but he's unable to perform any task that would enable him to uh, enjoy life as he used to or to really do anything that one might say would be enjoy in general. Sure. I mean, maybe he could try to listen to music, but how do you communicate, hey, I want to go listen to music or move yourself to a situation where you could yeah. try listening? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, how long ago was this? The music video, uh, the well, I mean, the person that you're talking about, did this? Did it really happen, or was it just a concept? I think it's just a concept. I'm not 100 okay. percent positive, but the it's either World War One or World War Two. I think that okay. movie is set in yeah. It's a, it's so black then and white films, yeah. Um, because uh, no, I mean, not that's not to say that that doesn't that wouldn't be horrible no matter what. Um, but even with modern technology, you do have uh, software that can track where your eyes are looking and and and. Uh, you know things like I mean, you can type just by looking at the at the keyboard with some facial recognition software, not the keyboard with the camera and everything, with some facial recognition software. Uh, it's it, it's amazing the things that we've you know that we've come up with. Uh, but still, in order to you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, so you could maybe maybe find a way to communicate now uh, with people, but it doesn't you know it still puts you in a situation where you're unable to to take care of yourself or unable to perform any of those necessary tasks. And, uh, I mean, I know I, uh, as, you know, as you know, from talking to me, I mean, I'm definitely a proponent of, of someone being able to choose when to end their life. 
you know, and that might be a situation, but I mean, I don't think that it's, it would be right for the family to make that decision for the person, but if the per, you know, but I mean, if, if he, he or she wanted to end their life at that, end his life or at that point or whatever, I would, I would probably support that. And then um, if we bring back the idea of solipsism, it makes it even worse because then if you're in this state where you have no limbs, no senses that you can really uh, communicate through sure you can't see uh this whole idea of you being the only mind in the universe is very much a prison that you are stuck within it, it kind of brings to mind again uh, another parallel with Camus the mm. idea of Sisyphus I mean Sisyphus with Camus is very different from uh the amputee blinded uh, unable to communicate a victim from the Metallica one video. Sure. But the idea of struggling and torment, it, it, it's still there, even though it's to a different extent. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sisyphus, um, for, for those who aren't, you know, who aren't familiar, actually, are you going to just go ahead and read it? Yeah, I can read it. Okay. This is going to be taken from, it's the, a Greek myth. So. Yeah. Uh, this is taken from the ultimate encyclopedia of mythology, uh, Sisyphus. The son of King Eleus of Thessaly and Honorite. He was known to the Greeks as the craftiest of men and suffered for his trickery by endless labor in Tartarus, a place of punishment beneath the underworld. Sisyphus is credited with the foundation of Corinth. According to one tradition, he angered Zeus by revealing that the god had abducted the daughter of a river god. Ah, Zeus can't keep it in his pants. Zeus is that therefore in the story? sent. <laughs> Uh, it's in the story, but not in the the actual entry. That's my clever aside. Uh, I see. Zeus therefore sent Thanatos, god of death, to take Sisyphus to the underworld. Somehow the ingenious king temporarily made Thanatos his own prisoner. When the gods again claimed him, Sisyphus tricked Hades into letting him return to Earth. Having told his wife to do nothing if he died, Sisyphus said that his body was unburied and the customary offerings to the dead had not been made. He must therefore see to the arrangements himself before he can be said to be truly dead. <laughs> Finally, Zeus lost patience and condemned Sisyphus to Tartarus to pay for his lifelong impiety. For the rest of eternity, he had to roll a block of stone to the top of a hill, only to see it roll back again as it reached the crest. Not exactly what I want to do with the rest of my life, I imagine. Or the rest of eternity, for that matter. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have I shown you the 8-bit philosophy video that puts that into a video game context? Have I shown you the Red Bull commercial that puts Sisyphus into an energy drink context? So how about this? I, I tell you about the 8-bit philosophy video, and then you tell me about the Red Bull video. That way, you know, our listeners can have a baseline idea. Again, we'll... We'll put links within the uh, thought catalog. Uh, by the way, if you haven't figured out already from previous episodes, thought catalogs is just a fancy way we call our notes. Yeah, um, I call them the show notes, but I'm a, I'm trying to trying to convert to calling it the thought catalog. It makes it a lot easier. Um, also, by the way, we're not actually sponsored by any of these uh, any of these things that we're mentioning. We're uh, we're just at least not not uh, not this not in this episode. What we're all we're doing is uh, we're just mentioning things that we feel are actually relevant to the situation. The same goes with past episodes because if if you go through the thought catalogs, you'll notice we have a lot of links. Sometimes it's like to Amazon. It, mm -hmm. It's just because we're trying to make it easy for you to find an edition of the book or whatever we're referencing. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, eight bit philosophy, Sisyphus. 
So you played Donkey Kong, right? The very original one with Mario? Yeah. All right. So what it does is it takes that idea where if you actually play that game, you just go through it forever. You don't ever actually go and rescue Pauline because, you know, that's before Peach. Everyone forgets about Pauline. She's just like that lesser known uh, ex of Mario that everyone tries to forget. It's like that girl some people date in the freshman year of college. And it's just like, I was experimenting. I know a few of those. <laughs> anyway, so the whole idea is that you go through all this torment. And it doesn't matter how many barrels you dodge, mm-hmm. how many fire guys uh, you jump over, how many hammers you grab. You never reach where Donkey Kong is and rescue Pauline. Let's hear this Red Bull. Well, it's a okay. So it's a Red Bull commercial, so it's really short. Um, basically, it's uh, it's Sisyphus is uh, trying to roll a rock up a hill. He finally gets to the top, and then it rolls back down, just like you know, just like the story goes. Uh, but then, uh, what looks like an angel of some sort, probably a nymph, considering it's uh, it's Greek philosophy um, or Greek mythology. Uh, <laughs> gives him a can of Red Bull because Red Bull, quote-unquote, gives you wings, and then he plays hacky sack with the ball and flies away. So in this case, it seems like some form of capitalism is the form of transcendence. Uh, Albert Camus, however, has his own idea of transcendence for Sisyphus, and it's one that you may not think of as being the go-to. With Camus, he has this huge focus on what's called the absurd. Again, we mentioned earlier about abs- absurdism, uh, not that something is ridiculous as in a, a view is absurd, mm-hmm. but rather the idea that existence, that life is absurd. And so the absurd man recognizes that life is hard to be certain. It's, it's hard to be certain about anything regarding life. Sure. It's hard uh, to be certain about anything anyway. But. In general, yes. But instead of looking at life and finding to be nihilistic, instead of finding it to be pointless, mm-hmm. even if it was in a solipsistic context wherein we are, are, are wherein I am the only person who exists or wherein you are the only person who exists, mm-hmm. the idea is that by recognizing this, we can give meaning to his existence. Sure. Uh, one of the main things that Camus says for transcendence is the idea of making art. You're making beauty. You're making meaning. You're creating something that grants meaning to what would otherwise be nothingness. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a, that's definitely a, a good point. I mean, any time that you can... Once you, you know, once you accept that... Uh, you know that maybe life isn't going to provide its own meaning, and you, you, you can still go out and make it. You can go out and do it on your own. Um, I mean, you know, think about, uh, you know, think about like charity. Even though, even you know, even though uh, like going out and volunteering, going out and helping things. I mean, those are all ways to get, you know, to to kind of give life, you know, give your life meaning. And you'll you find that you know whenever you get to a certain, uh, a certain uh, you know point where you're financially secure, you're, you're, you're starting to hit all these needs and you no longer, it's no longer a struggle to, to feed yourself, clothe yourself, whatever, as you're moving up, you know, even you're going up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And then, uh, once you, when you get to a certain point, it's almost like a need to, you know, you're no longer struggling for existence. So now you're struggling for meaning. Mm-hmm. 
And, and so um, that whole idea of Sisyphus, again, is when you're struggling for that meaning, no matter how awful it is, you just you accept it. You you take pleasure in it. Mm-hmm. And so if my eternity is to uh, or my punishment for eternity is to push this boulder up f- forever. Well, the reason that's a punishment for me is because that's something I do not want to do. Sure. But if I take pleasure in it and learn to accept that as my, uh, quote, destiny, I did air quotes this time. Yeah. Uh, rubbing off on you. Clearly. In more than one way, I might have to go to a doctor to see about that. I, I get this rash just breaking out on my side. That's disgusting. <laughs> anyway, um, that whole idea is that the concepts of punishment, whether it is divine or state induced any form any form of torture that we might go through any form of anguish Mm -hmm. uh through absurdism the argument is made that by taking relish in it we're not necessarily say become a a masochist yeah yeah Mm. (laughs) but (laughs) i love yeah i love getting uh i love you know getting beaten or, or or whatever that doesn't sound like fun to me but but yeah, I mean, you know, if you're you're already stuck there, it's kind of like making the most of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're already stuck in prison. So what can you do to give your life meaning? Then you can take classes. You can, um, you know, you can you can try to try to turn your life around in such a way that you're not gonna, you know, when you get out, you're not gonna be back there. Now, uh, in the case of of Sisyphus, he's not gonna get out. So <laughs> no, but at least by taking pleasure in it. The idea of Zeus and the rest of the gods getting their revenge upon this mortal for the rest of eternity, they're robbed of that. Yeah, definitely. And so they either have to come up with a new punishment or accept the fact that they can no longer punish this person. Yeah. And then even then, if they come up with a new punishment, Sisyphus just has to carry on this idea and he transcends. So we pretty much have figured out that while solipsism itself may be inherently nihilistic, that at least through an absurdist approach, we can escape the ultimate meaninglessness that existence would be through that model. However, that type of solipsism is not the only type of solipsism that exists, albeit it's the only one wherein it claims that you as an individual are the only person who exists. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, there's what is called political solipsism. It's the idea that your viewpoints uh, about how society should be run, maybe your party believes, tying in some of the stuff we talked about in our second episode, Feats of Hypocrisy, Sure. Uh, how you can easily become caught up wherein your viewpoints are the only one that matters or the only ones that are correct. Yeah. And everything else that's out there is absurd, not in the sense of absurdism, but, but in the sense of like the vernacular, yeah, the the ridiculous, the the insult, sure, yeah, I mean, absolutely, I mean, I it it definitely that definitely appears in politics all the time, um, and back to I I don't want to touch on it too much more, but I mean, back to politics, it's almost like you almost get to the point where where they believe in the party more than they believe in their actual own i you know their own ideas too. That happens a lot where, um. You know where they they'll claim that whatever the party believes that's you know that's what they believe and they don't really you know that's how they're gonna vote it doesn't matter like mm-hmm. uh you, I don't know how many times you hear you hear people say well oh no, I'm voting Democrat or I'm voting Republican 
they're not saying what issues they're going to vote for or, or anything like that or, or, mm-hmm. or why they're going to vote that way. They're just voting the way their party's telling them to because that's the only right way to go. Yeah, it's tying into what we talk about in our show notes, even though we don't actually use this term in that second episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, for Nietzsche republicanism, Nietzsche democratism, the idea that this is the party as it presents itself on paper. Yeah. Not necessarily saying this is what the candidate's going to do. Uh, right. But in this case, people who are so caught up with that idea of voting for it that they just instinctively go with it. And again, just like before, we're not condemning an individual party. We're not condemning an individual niche of uh, mm-hmm. republicanism or democratism, any type of partyism. Yeah. But the idea is it gives a rise to uh, this form of solipsism sure yeah i mean it's and all the 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 reason it's it's such a problem is that it just people just get lazy and don't think mm-hmm. uh, i mean there's nothing wrong with voting for either party as long as that's as long as you weigh the issues and you decide that that's what you know that that's what needs to that that's where your heart lies that's where you think that you should you should do the problem that you know the problem that comes in is whenever you listen to other people telling you what to do and you just do it without question mm-hmm and uh, it could be media as well. but Oh, yeah, yeah, not just, yeah, exactly. And actually, uh, that was the next thing I was going to get to, is that it doesn't just apply to politics. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's, you can have the idea that your group or your own views are, you know, are about anything are the only right way to be. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, what's called philosophical solipsism. Again, even though the solipsism we've been talking about is philosophical in general, mm-hmm. the idea of philosophical solipsism here is not the problem of other minds, but rather the idea that what we believe as a whole is the only thing that's correct. Political right. solipsism would just be a variant of that. Yeah, it's like a Kleenex tissue kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Basically. And... You and I have both encountered a lot of people who fall into this uh, philosophical solipsism uh, <laughs> because a lot of it, what drives it is cognitive bias. The right. idea that uh, not only that I believe it, therefore it's true, mm-hmm. but I look at things that conform what I believe and therefore I th- am reaffirmed in my position. Mm-hmm. And then if I see something that doesn't agree with what I believe, then I dismiss it. Uh, example, again, I'm pulling in political solipsism. If you want to use an example, you could pull it out from a different form. Mm-hmm. But let's say I am someone who is very uh, much on board with the Republican Party. So it yeah. just seemed to go straight to that. But that's because usually I see it thrown around like this. And so let's say after a GOP debate, sure. something like uh, CNN posts an article about where certain individuals were incorrect mm-hmm. uh, on what they said, whether or not they purposely lied or made a mistake. The, yeah, made a mistake and error. Uh, my cognitive bias, because of the fact that that station is part of the media and the media is perceived by some as being super liberal, mm-hmm. my cognitive bias, instead of even looking at the article or actually looking at it in detail, mm-hmm. I'll just find something immediately. I might pull up the article. Uh, again cognitive bias doesn't necessarily mean that i'll just ignore it i could ignore it that is one form of cognitive bias but another form is i'll open it up i'll look for something that seems sketchy that doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. and then i'll just drive it and just say how is this credible you know Mm -hmm. you 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 can't believe this if you believe this you're stupid this is liberal nonsense right and it plays it again in that 
that false sense that we talked about before with liberal being a synonym to Democrat and an antonym to conservatism and conservatism being a synonym for um, republicanism. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm actually going to bring up a specific example with uh, someone I know. So um, basically, uh, actually, I think you were there for this conversation. Um, He was he brought up the concept of uh, he actually brought up the uh, the brain in the vat kind of a solipsism uh, sort of sort of uh, discussion. But he brought it up as a, you know, look how ridiculous this other guy is kind of thing. He because he was saying that that someone told him that there was no way that he could prove that he existed and he was absolutely not having any of it. <laughs> um, he was um, he basically it, it was to the point where uh, he was just completely unwilling or unable to grasp the concept that that there might you know that that it might be uh, that the world might not might not really exist. Now, do I think the world that the world's an illusion? No, I don't really see any evidence for it. But that doesn't change the. But I mean, that doesn't. Uh, it definitely doesn't mean that we should just outright dismiss the concept because uh, it's worth talking about. It's worth thinking about. Um, it helps bring you to a greater appreciation for what reality is, too. Right, and he just wouldn't have it. He just he could not. Uh, he was just making, uh, you know, just saying how you know how ridiculous it was, and how he's like, well, I'm standing right here. I'm standing right here. How can I not exist? How can you not exist? You're standing right there, and it's like he he missed the point, and he wasn't even willing to uh, wasn't even willing to entertain the idea. So I mean, it was de- so it was you know definitely uh, you know. It's it's a I guess it's a weird it's a weird thing to think about, but you know that that maybe everything that you did, but I mean that's that's his form of cognitive bias there that um, that yeah he grew up in a you know the, in the physical world and was completely unwilling to unwilling to uh, even entertain the idea that the world uh, that the world could be an illusion or could be you know an elaborate hoax played on you know played on his brain while it sits in a jar of electrolytes, um, so. Does that mean it's Gatorade if it has electrolytes in it? That's right. Everything with electrolytes is Gatorade. <laughs> we are not sponsored by Gatorade either. Disclaimer. <laughs> right. Good call. Yeah. I mean, you know, and there's there are other people that are that are like that, but I was trying to come. I was trying to find an I you know find an example that wasn't rooted in politics. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the one I have. Oh yeah. Well, my example was also borrowed from a real person. Uh, I was the person who posted the article and someone who I would say more acquaintance with, I was best friends with him in middle school, but middle school is a long time ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole idea is I attempted to have actual intelligent discussion with him. It's not to say he's not an intelligent being. It's just because he's so grounded in his solipsistic view of what politics is mm-hmm. because of the fact that he is studying it. And it's like, okay, yeah. I, I normally I would grant that to someone. If they sure. are studying it, they are a better authority than I am. Yeah. But whenever someone who's studying it doesn't recognize the tangibility of certain terminologies. Right. When you don't recognize that there's more one form of liberalism, mm-hmm. that the political spectrum itself has its own drawbacks, as in the left-right spectrum. Right. Uh, and, I mean, we talked about in that episode, again, like all these other things. But the yeah. whole idea is... If you cannot recognize this and you're going to just do a lot of ad hominems uh, for people who don't know what an ad hominem is, that's when you just start insulting the person directly, not engaging with the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's 
it's very much a response i feel like drawn on by dogmatism you know dogmatism being the idea that you're so grounded in a belief nothing will change it and so it becomes a situation where i cannot convince you that my ideas are right so i'm going to lash out at you because i do not have any form of logical argument that mm-hmm. I, I can use to persuade it it's yeah. uh it kind of ties in that old uh instinct the warlike instinct sure if i cannot sway you peacefully then i will intimidate you yeah yeah i mean it's definitely true and you know i mean everyone kind of has has a you know a, a bias of some sort unfortunately we don't i don't know anyone who doesn't uh, no who even isn't. we have biases yeah. we may try our best to be objective here sure. but obviously our own biases will pop up here and there oh yeah definitely and i mean uh it's it's really you know so the the best you know your best bet is to try your try your hardest to be uh to be objective and and if you disagree with something it's probably worth looking into it just a little bit more just to make sure and uh you know i mean i i hate to i hate to quote pen gillette for the third episode in a row but um Pen Gillette does not sponsor us either. He's talking about his. Uh, he talks about in in one um, in uh, one of his uh, many online clips where he's in an interview. He talks about his BS detector. I I won't say what he really says because this is a uh, PG. It's a family show podcast or whatever. <laughs> um, I don't know. I say PG. I mean it's it has some adult ideas, but not that kind. So, um, but he talks. He says his BS detector works like this. Uh, if if there's something that 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 I really want to believe, then uh, that's when I need to question it. Because if there's stuff that you know, if there's stuff that you you know, the stuff that you want to not be true, or or whatever, I mean, it it you know, you need to give that more thought. You need to look into that before you just immediately dismiss it. But the things that require, uh, the things that that really need more, uh, that need that you need to pay more attention to and be more careful of, more more wary of, are uh, are the things that you want to believe. All right, so did you like what you heard? Not like what you heard? Have any ideas for future uh, episodes? Uh, definitely, I mean, drop us a line at uh, scoliuminstitute at gmail.com. And uh, you should definitely tweet us at uh, scolium underscore inst. Yes, uh, scolium is spelled S-C-H-O-L-I-U-M. You can also like us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, just the Scolium Institute. Look forward to hearing from you. Have a wonderful day or night. Installation of false memories complete. When you wake up, you will think that you have listened to the third episode of the Standard Issue. Welcome back to the Matrix.